You are Locked On Hornets, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. In a minute, cuz, we live. We live. Welcome to the Locked On Hornets podcast. We are coming to you from the Gittimer.com studios in Uptown Charlotte. If you're in sales and need help, visit Gittimer.com today to learn how to learn how they can help you do the one thing you want to do, and that's make more sales. Make sure you are following us on Twitter and Instagram at Locked On Hornets and on Facebook, Facebook.com slash Locked On Hornets. You can find myself on Twitter at Walker Mail and Doug at Doug Branson NBA. Not Edwards in with us again, and you can find him on Twitter at Not of the Scribe. We are part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Visit LockedOnSports.com to check out all of our podcasts on the NBA, the NFL, the MLB, and fantasy sports. You can also find Nada on Frank Kaminsky's Twitter page. You can. Wait, that is an unfair shot right there. You can find Frank Kaminsky on Nada's page, jumping into his mentions, and Nada being just crazy that he even would attempt to mess with Nada the Scribe. I'm convinced Frank has a burner account. Thank you very much. <laughs> There's so many burner accounts now. It was the best beef on Twitter since or before Pusha T and Drake. Facts. There you actual go, Doug. factual. Doug, you know a little bit about this, that, right? Well, you have done a lot of research on this, and now you are well-informed on the rap game. Well, as, you, as we talked about before the show, <laughs> NBA Twitter and, and rap Twitter are somewhat intertwined. And so I'm, I'm, you know, I see it, and I, and I research it, I'm still a little confused though. I feel like I when I when I when I tried to research it and figure out what what the the brouhaha was about, <laughs> as, as they all call it, by the way, right? Yeah, the kerfuffle. <laughs> I tried, yeah, exactly. I tried to find out what it was all about, and I felt like I had opened a textbook to a class that I've never taken before. Yeah, and I didn't really even know where to start. <laughs> and what did you decide to study instead, Doug? Well, so my, the thing I'm curious about: what does the T stand for in Push a T? None of these articles that I read. You got to the basics. Right. That's this. You That's needed what to I know. wanted to know. You needed to know the name before you did any more research on what actually was going on between You're Drake bearing and the lead. What is the T and Pusha T? Some, I still don't know. What is it? Uh, it's Terrence. Pusha Terrence. It's his real name. Okay. Pusha Terrence. Yep. Doug is 30 plus going on 50, 60. <laughs> what is this hippity hop Pusha T Drake beef that you guys discuss? Pass me my Metamucil. <laughs> Old at heart. So with these guys beef, by the way, like Twitter, and we mentioned burner accounts in just a few seconds, burner accounts, the beef going on between Pusha and Drake. I mean, Twitter is blowing up. We have Russians coming back to life. It's an unbelievable time to be on Twitter.com. <laughs> like, I love it. And this is crazy. Everything that's going on right now, I can't keep up. I'm not very good at Twitter anyway. But now with all of this stuff that I need to comment on and stuff that I'm genuinely interested, by the way, like, again, we talked to you about some uh, UGK being played at Toyota Center and how it should be on Friday. Like hip hop is is fantastic stuff. And now we have a great beef going on between Drake and and, and Pusha because first Duppy, I mean, he, he got it was, it was good. He got Pusha on Duppy. He, he did. He, he did. Like we, let, let, we got to rewind this back a little bit. Because you have Infrared that came out Six on Daytona, Loved it. which is absolutely great. You should listen to it. And Doug, great it's the perfect rap album for you because it's only seven songs, 21 minutes long. I was about to say, the, the songs are wow. short. The songs are real short. You can bang that out in not even half an hour. You can do the dishes. You can legitimately do the dishes to this album. And by the time you're finished, the dishes should be done. 
That's Love, beautiful. So yeah, you do have infrared coming out first, and we're, let's just dive into this before we get into anything else, real quickly. So Pusha T comes out with infrared on his album Daytona, fantastic album. Infrared, a great song, good beef. Started off, I mean, we're starting off on a good bass. Then Drake responds, and he comes out with Duppy Freestyle. Duppy, good wins, right? It, it like wins. genuinely wins. When in you that sound regard. like a disappointed parent at the beginning of a song, <laughs> yeah, you he was, win. Like he was, he was like, I can't believe they had the I audacity. Exactly. It's like, I can't believe you are making me take time out of crafting my album Mm -hmm. to do this, but I will do it because I love you. So then I I thought timing was going to be big on Push's part. Like I thought because Duppy came out so fast and it was quality and it was good. I was like, Drake has now made this a timing issue issue for you, Pusha, because now you need to bring out something fast. And it took him a a little bit, right? He took the Memorial Day weekend. He he was pushing Pusha. That is. He, he was I was trying. pushing. He was I was trying. pushing. I was literally pushing Terrence to come out with something faster. Yeah. Yes. And he took his time. He's like, I'm going to take this time. I'm going to enjoy some Memorial Day barbecue. And then, you know what? I'm just going to go old school. I'm going to go to New York City to Hot 97 to Funkmaster Flex of all people <laughs> and then release the song. So then he releases. What's the song called again? It is called. Oh, wow. I can't even remember the name. Well, whatever. It doesn't even matter. He, he, he comes point. out with a hit. He comes out with a hit on on Drake and just crosses a bunch of different lines and skips a whole bunch of different levels. And a lot of people are here for it, including myself. And Pusha T now is on top of this. And we'll see how Drake is able to respond yeah, in the th- fourth song of this saga. Literally, this might end up being better, more competitive than the finals. <laughs> this this one, this one is this this finals between these two. Like this is probably a six game finals that you're looking at, right? Like I don't yeah. like you. You have both coming out. Who wins? Like is is Pusha going to win on we this? Win, Walker, we win, Walker. Right. We win. I like that answer better. The story of Adidon. I like that. Thank you, thank Dr- you, Doug. Doug, you'd get top of your head, right? Just out of the top of the dome, you were able to. You what just is Adidon short for? That is actually the name of his son. That if you listen to the song, Wait, the, secret, the secret son, the secret son, the that's secret right. You son. did there. There you go. There you go. With a, with a porn star. Yes, yes. that's right. With a porn star that he needs to embrace as his baby mama, as Pusha T would tell Drake to do so. Right. Flip. <laughs> there's, <laughs> there's your hip hop moment of the day. Uh, Steve Clifford, our boy, Steve Clifford. We'll try to jump into this NBA here. Steve Clifford getting a job today with the Orlando Magic. Reunited with the Orlando Magic after spending five seasons as an assistant with the organization, including those five years all being under Stan Van Gundy, seeing a finals appearance to play the Los Angeles Lakers. And then after that, he goes to be an assistant with the L.A. Lakers and then finds himself being the head coach of the Charlotte Bobcats, eventually being the Charlotte Hornets and spending five years here before he is fired by Mitch Kupchak in the new regime and doesn't take long to find a new job. And Doug, you called it. You thought he would not take a year off. I thought it was perhaps going to be a little bit more possible than you did. But you were right. He gets that job pretty quickly with Orlando as teams are starting to fall out uh, with not many opportunities left and the Magic scoop him up. Round and round the coaching carousel goes and Steve Clifford finds himself back where he started. We'll head first to Philip Rossman Reich. We'll get an update from him. Philip Rossman Reich, a friend of the podcast, joined us a little while ago to help us dissect the James Borrego hiring. He is, of course, the host of the Locked On Magic podcast and a member of the Orlando Magic Daily. We'll head to his update now on the hiring. If there's one thing that I can say definitively about Steve Clifford is he's going to demand a standard of play for this team and begin to establish a culture. And that helps young teams trying to take that next step, at least get into playoff contention. And that's where the Magic are right now, frankly. After six years missing the playoffs, 
never winning more than 35 games. They really need a coach that's just going to get them to that next level. They just need a coach that's going to get them to be competitive every single night. And that's not something the Magic have had for a very, very long time. And so this hire to me, yes, it kind of feels like the Magic settled a little bit. They went for a coach with some established ties in the franchise. He was an assistant coach under Stan Van Gundy from 2008 to 2012. It is a retread. I probably would have liked to see them go with an up-and-coming assistant coach Give someone new a chance, but that comes with risk too. So the Orlando Magic have hired Steve Clifford. You'd, of course, check out Locked On Magic later on today. For more on the hire, I'll be down at the press conference. Uh, I was down at the press conference, I guess, since this will be coming uh, tomorrow. Uh, but definitely check out Locked On Magic for the latest on the hire of Steve Clifford, as long as well as some other draft tidbits. I'll be actually previewing the NBA Finals for my listeners on Thursday's episode as well. So thanks again for Philip Rossman Reich for updating us on the Steve Clifford hiring. And it's a guy that we actually know a lot about here in Charlotte, again, because he spent five years here with us after he took that job with the Charlotte Bobcats, then, of course, transitioning to the Charlotte Hornets. And now he's got himself a job. Look, I mean, him taking this job, I've always thought he was a good head coach. I, you know, perhaps that the message ran stale with this team. I, I understood the move to move on from Steve Clifford, but I do think this is a guy that deserves to be a head coach in this league. And one of the more respected guys, like anybody I talked to doing the wake up call and doing that morning show, any kind of NBA guests that we have, just all positive things ever said about Steve Clifford and being, you know, one of the better head coaches, one of the better defensive minds in the game. He goes to Orlando. It's not a great roster. You have some interesting decisions to make with some of the contracts that are up and some of the money tied up and some players you might not deem as stalwarts with that team. But it is a a thing where I, I think Phillip makes a great point. And that one thing you know Clifford wants to do is he wants to establish identity from the get-go. I mean, he has what he wants in mind more so than anything. And if you establish the identity, you establish that kind of culture, then maybe that's all you need for a young team to at least improve a little bit more than you thought they would. Here's what I want to know. Who was calling (laughs) Philip during that segment? I I mean, that, that was the one thing. It's one of those things where do not disturb mode. I thought he would use. That was his push a T release alerts. <laughs> he was getting the alert that the, that the disc tape had dropped. Yeah. Phillips track. Phillips track. You have a push disc, a T guy? <laughs> I guess it's not a disc tape. It's a disc, disc track. You think Phillips bumping Daytona down there in Orlando? Maybe. Bumping it in his car? I hope so. One hand on the wheel, gripping wood. I, I can see. I can see. I, I can see that. it though. I can see Philip Rossman right doing that. I didn't realize how hood he was, but maybe that was what it is. Maybe he's getting notifications. But yeah. for real, like, did you like? Do you guys like the Steve Clifford hiring here? What What do you make of the marriage between I, Orlando and Steve? The one thing I would worry about in terms of just from the Charlotte perspective, Clifford's taking over a team that's probably better now than Charlotte was from when he took that over. This team has a lot of young talent that just needs to put it together. I trust Clifford to actually put it, put it together because unlike the popular narrative that he didn't like to play rookies, he didn't like to play young guys, he liked to play them as long as he saw what he liked in practice. That's the big thing with Steve Clifford. And more importantly, once he gets those guys to play right, they're going to be a very dangerous team in terms of seven, six, seven, eight. And there's a good chance that depending on how this breaks, the draft breaks, this team may end up taking three or four from the Hornets this year. He's got a he's got his rim protector and and one that's familiar to him and Bismack Biombo, who's signed there through twenty twenty, making seventeen million dollars a year. Fournier's making seventeen million dollars a year for 
for the next three seasons as well. They've got some decisions to make. They got to figure out whether they're gonna what they're gonna do with Aaron Gordon. He's a restricted free agent, and and I just like to start the rumors now. Uh, Kimball Walker to Orlando. Uh, let's see, Marvin Williams to Orlando. Let's see if Steve Clifford goes out and gets his guys, brings in the veterans that he loves and cherished here in Charlotte uh, to start the run there in Orlando. I want to talk more about that. We actually came together with what I think is a very good front office here at the Gittimer.com studios. I think it was a very good effort by us to make some sense of what possible trades you can make with the Charlotte Hornets and the Orlando Magic. We'll come back with the uh, after the break with some more on the potential trades. We'll start the trade rumors. We'll see what you guys like. We'll see what you don't like, and you can follow us, and you can tweet at us at Lockdown Hornets. If you like what we're doing here, make sure you are checking us out on the Lockdown Podcast Network and to see what they have to offer, including Lockdown Panthers. Host Bill Rossetti is getting you ready for the preseason with news and analysis from Charlotte to Spartanburg. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. Just search Lockdown Panthers. We're proud to be part of the Lockdown Podcast Network, covering the biggest local stories in every single market. We'll be back with some Charlotte Hornet, Orlando Magic trade rumors. Stay tuned. We'll be back after the break. You are listening to the Locked On Hornets podcast. And that was also a connection of a connection because the new Carolina Panthers owner, David Tepper, looks like the guy trying to defuse the bomb at the elementary school and die hard with a vengeance, which I thought looked like John Hurd, a.k.a. Kevin McAllister's dad. AKA Peter McAllister. I never would have got that. It's time for more of the Locked on Hornets podcast. Full house today, Doug Branson, Walker Mail, alongside Nada Edwards here with you on the Locked On Hornets podcast on the Locked On Podcast Network. We're letting the rumors run rampant, let them run wild, see what you guys think. Let us know what's going on, if you guys like it or not. So we were discussing a trade, possibly, right? Because now one of the things that has been mentioned to us and one of the things that is certainly out there for maybe a discussion is what do you do with Kimba Walker? And is it, in fact, a possibility that you would trade Kimba Walker to use as leverage to move up in this year's draft? So now with Steve Clifford going to the Orlando Magic, it's only plausible to think of that marriage once again working because the Magic, they have a pick that is right around in that area that would make a lot of sense to move up. They're at sixth overall, supposed to be five, ended up getting six. And that is, of course, five spots ahead of where the Charlotte Hornets currently reside at number 11. You can still get one of the better players. But all it takes is for basically one guy to drop. And I think there's a lot of good players to be had at number six overall. So we were talking Kimball Walker has to be part of this deal because it's the only way to move up in this draft. It's the only asset that makes sense. So you trade Kimball Walker. Of course, you trade number 11 because you would have to swap those first round picks. And then Steve Clifford loving himself some Marvin Williams and vice versa. Perhaps that's the contract that you throw in. So you throw in Marvin, you throw in Kimba, and you throw in the 11th overall pick. And in return, you get number six overall. You take a chance on one of those young players that teams often do to try to figure out if they can kind of spark plug their career and maybe bring it back close to expectations. The former fifth overall pick, I believe, Mario Hazonia. Maybe you can mention him with that sixth overall pick. And then you would have to make the money count. So how does the money add up? Maybe that's when you would throw in a Nikola Vucevic, who's making about $12 million a year, or a Terrence Ross, who's making about ten and a half, but only for one more year, and then it's a contract that's not in your books anymore. That's what we came to, 
right? Uh, like, exactly. It work. It works for me primarily because at the addition of Terrence Ross makes the subsequent trading of Jeremy Lamb a little bit more palatable to the to the taste. You also have to wonder if they're going to start, start switching it up in the starting lineup. You can go with a Batum Terrence Ross starting lineup on the wings. And not necessarily, it's not an upgrade from the defensive perspective, but from the defense, from the offensive perspective, it works because then you add additional shooting along to whomever you're going to add in that starting lineup. It works for both teams because if you're Orlando, you're looking to win now. That's why you hired a coach Clifford to bring some of these young players together, but you need something to make the leap and you get Kimball Walker, an all-star. That's an upgrade over uh, DJ Augustine and over Shelvin Mack easily. And for Charlotte, you're moving a contract, a long-term contract in Marvin Williams, and you're getting back an almost top five pick for Kimball Walker. So you dump money and you move up to try to get some young talent and the margin for error is much bigger because you move up to six. The problem, though, is that it would be breaking the the promise that we got from owner Michael Jordan that Kimball Walker would not be moved unless an all-star talent. But you're cool with this, right? Like if you're a Hornets fan and you have to deal Kimball Walker, are you cool with this trade? Are you cool with moving up to six with this kind of deal where you kind of get somewhat like forget the outside variables, right? Like as long as those are even, which I would imagine they're somewhat even in this case. I mean, if you move up to number six and you don't get Kemba and you do, I guess, the outside variable you could consider is getting a young player. Are you cool with that if you're a Hornets fan? The only reason you wouldn't be cool with it is because you're probably wanting six and 11 in this draft. I think the only reason you wouldn't be cool with it is because you're essentially trading your best franchise player of all time to clear the deck as opposed to get significantly better. Well, you have, but you also get that sixth overall pick. And I get clearing the deck, but it's not like you get nothing in return. I mean, the sixth overall pick is the prize here, right? I mean, do you do that with only moving up five spots? Is that enough for you in order to be all in on that? Six pick. I mean, the draft is, especially this draft, I think beyond the first couple of picks is is kind of a, a crapshoot at this point. So I don't know that the sixth pick would be – it's not going to significantly move the franchise. It certainly is – you have a better opportunity to do so than the 11th pick, but not not a crazy better opportunity. It's it's not crazy better, and I agree with you, but also you know, five picks probably holds a little bit more weight than realized in a lot of situations. You know, Five picks is is an insane amount to me. You know, I mean, when, when you look at where these guys are falling, like the Hornets are now – dealt with the task to try to hit on one of these guys in the double digit selections, just like a lot of these other small market teams have done. And we constantly mention this, right? Like go to Paul George. He was number 10 overall. Giannis, I believe was like 15 CJ McCollum. He was number 10 overall. You know, when you look at these small market teams and how they hit their double digits and you hit on the one guy, like if you're able to move up to six, that would be able to help you out. Again, the margin for error is a lot bigger and that just might be a chance you have to take if you're clear in the deck and you take a chance on a younger guy whose contract you control for a while. And of course, it would be some young talent that would give this team some hope. So if you move to six, you're essentially moving from 11, which would be the Kevin Knox, Colin Sexton, Miles Bridges territory into territory of Muhammad Bamba, Wendell Carter Jr., possibly Michael Porter Jr. if he fell but Bagley's not falling. Jaron Jackson Jr. is not falling. Aiden's not falling. Doncic, maybe if he decides to stay, but then you're talking about a long-term solution as, a, as opposed to somebody 
that can help you now. I just don't. I don't see that it's that significant of a jump to eleven to six. I it, I think it's a little bit more. I think you're both right. I think it's just the one thing I hedgy, would ask. Yes, I am very not as hedgy. Very much so. I'm hedging on this one only because I like Michael Porter Jr. I like. I think he's a superstar. I think at eleven he's better. I also wonder. At some point, do we start – because if it's Trey Young, I'm going to be disappointed. I'm not going to lie to you. If I would agree. I don't I, 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 would don't be, think, I don't like the fit. I don't like the fit here, especially with Malik Monk, and we don't know the future of Malik Monk at all, whether it's at point guard or whether it's at two guard. And tiny backcourts, as we saw what New Orleans did to Portland, doesn't necessarily work long term. It works in the regular season. It will not work in the postseason. Pusha Terrence didn't hedge. You know what? No, he didn't hedge. But you know what? I have to hedge on this one. Listen to this quote from Pusha T. I'm not censoring myself. There's more content if it's needed. See, Pusha T understands the content economy that we're in right now. You you got to hold a little bit in the pocket and and tease it out. Pusha T, you know who Pusha T reminds me of a little bit? Who's that? Donald Trump. Holding on to a little bit of content, teasing it. Teasing it out, saying, I've got more. That's, Chill, Doug. It's the, only, <laughs> yes. place, this is the yes. only place where you'll get that kind of comparison. <laughs> yes. The Donald Trump to yes. push a T comparison. I don't know where to go with that, to be honest. No, no, I don't. Like, that is the last comparison I ever make. I can't I can't get down with the push. Like, he is pushing for content. I feel like that's just kind of any good salesman, though. Exactly. Like, that's just any good sleazy, sleazy salesman, sleazy radio host. That's what you're doing. What are you you're describing Donald Trump. Um, and we're also comparing him to a drug dealer. I also like the content. Yeah, that is true. Thank and you. a former dr- drug Thank dealer. Thank you, Nada. Yes. Flip. <laughs> yeah. I also like the content of Pusha T a little bit more than I like the content of the current president of the United States. All right, so we'll move on. The mock draft, we're talking about a lot of these rumors that possibly could happen with the Charlotte Hornets moving up to number six at the Hive. Came out with a list of all of the mock draft selections that where the, that have the Charlotte Hornets selecting a bunch of different guys. Uh, we'll talk about the pool of players after we go to break, and uh, we'll come back again talk about some of the guys that at the Hive mentioned from some of the other websites that they collected. Stick around on the Locked On Hornets podcast on the Locked On Podcast Network. You are listening to the Locked On Hornets podcast. I saw one horror Christmas film in my entire life, at least that I can think of, and it was for film class, and it was about an evil Santa Claus. So it was like Krampus. It actually was Santa Claus with uh, Tim Allen. It's time for more of the Locked on Hornets podcast. Welcome back to the Locked on Hornets podcast. Walker Mail, Doug Branson, Nada Edwards all here with you at the uh, at the getemer.com studios. We're talking about the trade rumors possibly with the Charlotte Hornets, or at least we're starting some. We're talking about some potential trades and also some possible selections there for the Charlotte Hornets at number 11 and a, p- a particular pool of players that would possibly be there. And at the Hive came out with an article, Dylan Jackson to be exact. He came out with just a couple of listings of some of the major websites and where they have the Charlotte Hornets, who they have the Charlotte Hornets picking at number 11 if they were indeed to stay at that particular spot. And we'll start off with what SB Nation Ricky O'Donnell has to say. His particular selection is Shea Gilgis-Alexander. Now, I'll, I'll give you my take on Shea Gilgis-Alexander real quickly. Love him. 
think it would be a, a good fit here. I like him because he is a guy with a seven-foot wingspan. He's one of the taller point guards in this draft. I, I like his fluidity. I know a lot of people are discussing just how smooth he is. It's as entranced me as well. I am on the fluidity bandwagon with Gilgis Alexander. I think he would be fun. Plus, we're talking about the size, right, that has to offset Malik Monk. Again, it just makes sense to me with a guy that is able to come in here and play alongside Malik Monk. Eventually, of course, with the thought process that maybe you just have to move on from Kimball Walker in order for a rebuild. I agree there. The one thing I would say, and if Doug had the hot take machine ready, I would absolutely tell him. Are you asking for it? Yeah, I am asking for the hot take machine. All right, let's hear it. Doug, well, we first, got it. Let's see. You you guys have to learn how the hot take. You have to feed wait. No, it. I thought we did. It. I mean, I thought he did it right. Right? Am I not? No, I, I, I not know I'm how to do this. I'm asking you to warm it up because this one's gonna need to go through this. Okay. Okay. Good. That's what I. That's what I need. I need a lukewarm take to feed it, and then out so he comes, needs to give you a lukewarm he, take. Yes, I need a lukewarm take, and you then need, you need to fix it. it okay. Then, it's well, like a, well, it's I, a microwave. It's not a. It's not like something from Star Trek where it just like makes you a sandwich out of molecules. We, do we not have the? Do we not have the money to try to get one of those exactly. better hot take no, machines? No, that, that hasn't been invented yet. Well, I thought maybe okay, you would invent okay, it. Okay, fine. You want a lukewarm <laughs> take first? We can start with this. I think Shagild just Alexander will be there. Will be there at eleven. How about that? Okay. What we got? <laughs> Smell some. All right. What have what have you pulled out of the machine there? Now, what I'm going to say, what I was going to say in terms of hot takes is while I think he's good enough to be there, I don't know if he actually is. I think he's the first point guard taken. Oh, you think Shea Gilgis Alexander is that hot enough for you? So he is, is malfunctioning, or is that guard, hot? So he's the first point guard taken in the draft. Yes, over Trey. Over Trey Young. Over Trey Young. The hot take would ensue, and that is certainly it passes my. It's it's a little too. It's it's hot for me. It's hot it, enough. It, it feels it good. Barely. It barely got over the. It's done. The barrier. It's done to it's me. It's done. I thought it was done. You can stick a fork in that take. I think it's hot enough. No, I look. I don't think so. Obviously, I think some team is going to fall in love with Trey Young's ability to shoot. And I think he will absolutely be the first point guard taken. Plus, again, talk about the opportunities. Like you're talking about Colin Sexton. The one thing about Colin Sexton is that he came, he measured a little bit shorter than I expected. I expected it's 6'2, 6'3, John Wall size guy. Him only measuring out about six, six foot kind of hurts him, especially with no jump shot at this point. Kind of similar to what happened with Kemba Walker. Gilgis Alexander is is very interesting to me because, as you mentioned before, his fluidity, his ability to make plays, and a lot of these Kentucky guys are kind of underdeveloped, and they find a way in that first year to explode, and someone's going to believe in that, and someone's going to take him. I can see him going to Orlando because Cliff loves necessarily yeah. big point guards. Now that makes some sense. Makes some sense. Doug, your thoughts on Alexander? I like Alexander. Uh, you wonder, though, if he's going to sort of take the Michael Carter-Williams track and not be able to be an effective enough offensive player to uh, outweigh his defensive strength. I will say this. It is a very small sample size. Was a 40% three-point shooter, but only attempted one and a half per game. So he was making about 0.6 per game. Again, not making one every single time he went out there. But at least the stroke is there. At least we do have a good percentage. Whereas Michael Carter-Williams come out of college, we knew. Like, we knew the shooting there, that was not going to be a strong suit of his. So also, another thing where that stat can attribute to is Zaire Smith. 
Zaire Smith yeah. is the selection of Jordan Schultz, or excuse me, Zaire is Dylan Jackson. Excuse me, yeah. correct. Thank you. So Dylan Jackson, he is the guy for at the hive who comes up with this article. He says that Zaire Smith would be his selection at number eleven. That's his prediction as of now, and he does go on to mention the same exact thing I just said for Shea Gilgis Alexander is that his three point shooting was pretty good, but again, you can take that with a grain of salt because he only shot once per game. Basically, only one attempt. So when you're looking at Zaire Smith, the thing I liked about the thing the thing to like about him is that he is crazy athletic. It's a guy that did average double digit points per game. You you could see that it is a guy that has a good build at that size, but it is that size that comes in at the combine that might deter you from drafting him at number eleven because now you might be a little shy because of a six three shooting guard that you drafted last year in Malik Monk. He comes in what six three. Is yeah. that about right? Six, th- six, two and a half, six, three is Zaire Smith. And can you f- work with that in the backcourt? Can you no. work with Malik and, and Zaire Smith in the backcourt? No, I don't think you can. I honestly don't think you can. Even and, and the fact is that he does. He even has a pedestrian, I want to say, wingspan. And the fact that he doesn't have that six, nine, six, ten wingspan and you're going to try and play him at two guard. It's it's a recipe for disaster on an undersized guard. We've and seen it work before. We've seen it work in Portland. We've seen it work in Boston. What happened to Listen, Portland he, this year, Doug? If he can jump 10 feet in the air, who cares if he's 6'2 or 6'3 or 6'4? What six, happened four? to Portland this year, Doug? Can he jump Can he jump 10 feet in what the air? What happened to Portland this yes year, no? Doug? And plus, I will say this. Portland's even got... Even their their guys are a little bit taller. I guess they're not much taller, but they are a little bit. But now I'm see. Here's the thing. I, I'm like I, I get you. To me, I, I've always preached that just because you're small doesn't mean you have to be a bad defender. I mean, we can go straight to the smallest guy ever, like Muggsy Bogues. Zaire Smith to make is, it work. will be an, an elite defender, and Zaire Smith is probably going to be good. Like I, I I like Zaire Smith. I think it'd be fine there. Can those guys coexist on the court together? Can Malik and Zaire Smith coexist? Like one, by the way, like can Zaire Smith really distribute the ball like that? I mean, I I just don't see him being the assist man like a or the shooter or or the shooter wholeheartedly and putting him alongside Malik Monk in the offense. I just don't know. And, and then, again, this is all predicated on having Malik Monk here, right? I mean, it, if if you want to give up on Malik, then maybe you go that route. But I certainly don't want to. And so, if you burn the eleventh pick just to clear salary, yeah. then you have bigger problems. Yeah, oh, and, and maybe maybe you tried to take this chance on Zaire, but again, I'm I would shy away from him, man. Like if Gilgis Alexander is there, I'm taking him. If th- there's a quite a few players, I think I would take ahead of what you have in Zaire Smith, the Texas Tech guy coming out now in this year's draft. So a couple of other guys to look at: Kevin Knox, another Kentucky guy. He, he's the guy that. He reminds me a lot of Tayshawn Prince in a way that Tayshawn Prince was good at a lot of things. He just wasn't great at anything, at any necessarily one thing. The versatility is great, but he wasn't going to give you 30, 40 points on any given night. He was going to give you good to somewhat excellent defense. But even at 11, is that what this team really needs? I think Kevin Knox is representative of the worst that that 11th pick could be. I think if Kevin, if you get the sense that Kevin Knox is the best that you can do at 11, you 
just trade that. Wow, pick. wow, that's that's a little that's a little. Wait, hot. wait, 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 wait. Hold on. Need, how did you didn't need the hot take machine? Wait, wait, wait. How did how did that not get run? Yeah, I. I mean, that's it. He didn't need it. It was already wow. it already came out steamy. So when you look at I mean, Kevin Knox, really, like you are, you're that low on him. What is? Why are you so particularly low on this particular guy? Because I just don't feel like he showed anything in that in that year at Kentucky that that says, hey, I'm really really good at one particular thing. And I kind of agree with Doug on that. I I'm not a fan. You know what's funny is I, I agree with both of you. Like Kevin Knox is is not somebody that wows me at number eleven, and you could see him be a guy that starts to slip a little bit and be taken. I, I don't know if it's outside the lottery, but no, it'll be outside the lottery. I I, I, I can, can see it. Yeah. I can see outside of the lottery. I can see eighteen to twenty. Like for me, a guy like Kevin Knox needs as much time in the G League as possible. So, and Doug, you talked to somebody, I forget his name, but you talked to somebody that said the alpha dog, or no, it was Rick Bennell, excuse me, you talked to somebody about Miles Bridges about that. Yeah. I have talked to Rick Bennell about this, and we've mentioned Kevin Knox back and forth, and how John Calipari has begged Kevin Knox to take over games, and it's just simply not in him. Like, we talk about that alpha dog personality, and look, I, I think it matters, certainly in college, and and still, I think you if, you, if you're not taking over even in college, then maybe that's something that you look at. Can is is that something that can be developed in no. the NBA? Andrew Wiggins is probably the best example of this not happening. Well, and Kevin Knox, to me, is a guy that I'm shying away from, and I'm not going to take at number 11, and there's a few guys I would take, and I will use the example that I just brought to you, Doug, who had the same kind of knock on him at the guy that you talked about, Gary Parish of CBS Sports. He does have the Charlotte Hornets taking Miles Bridges at number 11. We all are probably more familiar with him because we've gotten two years of Miles Bridges on a big scale where he has been in the media for a while at least within college basketball so a little bit more familiar with him but again was going to be drafted around this kind of spot last season does not pick up really any ground to me going to be drafted here again thoughts on miles bridges well here's i'm less concerned about the fact that miles bridges was not necessarily an alpha dog at michigan state because i really felt like a lot of those issues were at the end of games i mean he's still he was able to average 17 and 7 like he was still one of their you know, top two players at any point in in the season. So it's not as if he did not uh, contribute or want to contribute in a heavy way. It's just at the end of the games, they really wanted him to step up and he wasn't doing it. The other thing that I want, want, like with Bridges, Bridges is like that BLT that you get from every sandwich, every store. Like literally, it's nice. It's safe. You don't have to worry about getting food poisoning. But he's, again, it's going to be a reliable sandwich that you can always go get with some chips and some soda. That's Miles Bridges is the BLT. Right the there. safe BLT. Yeah, he's the safe BLT. What kind of sandwich is Zaire Smith? Like that's That's got a lot of upside, but still a little small. You can't he go with a big. Is, is he a slider? Like a, a yeah, something he's that, a, yeah, he's a slider. Like some sliders from certain places are great. Other sliders <laughs> are not worth the bun that it's put on. I want to do this. I want to do this. I want to create what sandwiches kind of for every prospect that we just talked about. So right. we have I like this. So we have BLT. We have a BLT for who we just said who we called BLT the Miles Bridges, Miles right? Bridges. I agree. I, I like that. That's a good example. I like the slider for Zaire Smith. What about the long, gangly, fluid Shea Gilgis Alexander? What kind of sandwich do we equate to his game? He's the Reuben. Like All right, I need an explanation. He needs he's the Reuben. Like a great Reuben is one of those like just staple sandwiches. No, I, I got it. Yes, he is like the Reuben because a Reuben with too much dressing, with too much sauce, yeah. can get a little weird. Okay, now it gets soggy and then the game starts to dampen a little bit. All exactly, right. it starts turning it over a little too much 
Yeah, exactly. So that's that's why he's like the Reuben. What about Kevin Knox? I'm disturbed to hear what Tuna kind salad. of sandwich. Tuna salad. butter and jelly. No, Tuna I li- salad. I like, Tuna salad. I like both of those, though. Like, those are a PB&J is a good classic. Like, you Kevin Knox is in a classic sandwich, right? Mm. Yeah, like, but can't. he's the PB&J with grape jelly. I'm, I'm a fan. Are we not wait, fans wait, of wait, grape how jelly? Do you like, again, grape, grape jelly je- is good. Grape jelly is not good, I'm here for grape jelly. I'm here. I'm, I'm cool with strawberry jelly, too. But if we're going to hate on Kevin Knox, and I agree with both of you, by the way. You guys are strong, but I'm going to go with you guys. I can't I can't put him on a sandwich that I eat all the time. Grape jelly, strawberry jelly, I will eat a PB and J. I can't do it. We need to find something else. Tuna salad. See, I like tuna salad too. Is my taste in sandwiches just bad? Well, it's not about whether you like it or not. I'm not I'm not I'm not saying that tuna salad is necessarily bad. I'm saying I don't trust tuna salad in the store. I gotta make my own tuna salad. Uh you know what I trust less than tuna salad in the store is egg salad. Egg salad yeah, is something that, I do there not it is. trust. There it is. There it is. Is that what we have? So we have egg salad. We have a Reuben. I like the Reuben, man. Doug, you came around and we we had a good team effort on the Reuben. Yeah. So, all right. So I think we're all, uh, I think I would take that Reuben though. I'm taking the chance on a Reuben. I might be a little saucy, but man, if it's good, it's going to be tasty and I'm ready for it. Another 19 year old from Kentucky. Just keep, (laughs) let's just do it every year. (laughs) Keep. I'm I ready. mean, it's either One's that or Knox. Then I'm fine. You got to you got to specify here, Doug. Oh, a guard, a 19 year old guard. I'll, I'll take okay. it. I'll take from it. Kentucky. Oh, uh, real quickly, we've we've probably gone long enough. We got to mention Colangelo, Colangelo, Brian Colangelo, <laughs> right? Burner accounts. We talked about that a little bit at the beginning. We were alluding to it. We were foreshadowing it. Brian Colangelo, the president of basketball operations for the Philadelphia 76ers, has now allegedly been linked to five different Twitter accounts, and this story comes from the Ringer. And now Brian Colangelo comes out with a statement. He did say that he was using one particular account that the Ringer article does mention. Great, great handle, by the way. Fila one, two, three, four, five, Correct. six, seven. Correct. It's like the password. That's the it's like one the initial he admitted password. to. Right. That's the one that he admitted to. There are also, there are also four other Twitter accounts that he has denied using. Brian Colangelo has called each one of the people that these particular accounts have gone after have insulted, and have also praised himself and the work that Brian Colangelo actually did. So he's calling guys like Joel Embiid, who he knocks with one of these accounts, saying that it Allegedly. was not him. He called, I don't know who else he's called, but you would imagine it's some of these players with the Philadelphia 76ers. Former he, players like Jaleel Okafor. He does, yes. He, he talks about the medical for Jaleel Okafor, Allegedly. about how, how he failed to past the second physical and how that was actually the deterrent for a trade that was supposed to go through saying that he would bet anything that that was something that happened i would imagine it's pretty good if Colangelo was the guy also clowning masai yajiri the gm or the head decision maker i forget what his exact title team is. president there, of toronto raptors I thank, believe. thank you push it m <laughs> yes <laughs> he, he gets on push it mu for toronto and saying why does he get so much love for the job that his predecessor did. So, Brian, a fascinating story. A fascinating story that The Ringer did such a phenomenal job on, going in detail. I got to read about three-quarters of it now, and I need to finish it, but from what I've read, it is pretty damn detailed. And this guy did a great job covering his tracks, admitting, by the way, to Philadelphia that he had, or that there was two Twitter accounts that he was trying to link to him, but he also kept a couple in his back pocket so he could keep on checking exactly. on them. Exactly. That, that's the damning. There's it no is. It, I don't really care about the fact that it that folds and all the and all the the accounts that the that the accounts followed. Like that's all a little circumstantial. What's really damning to me is that he told 
the organization about the uh, two of the accounts that he was two of the tracking five, right. and then didn't tell them about three. And an hour after he told them about the two, the three went private. So Correct. to me, that's pretty that's pretty damn well, and that's how the article leads up too. So then, automatically, it got you hooked. It it, it get it gets you hooked, and no you're ready smoking for gun though. I think that's no, it. now it's going to be hard. Tr- it triggered an investigation, so maybe we get that. But there was no smoking gun. Here's here's the thing that that I take away from all of this. Uh, Colangelo, in a statement, said, "Like many of my colleagues in sports, I have used social media as a means to keep up with the news, and that's when he reveals that he did use that one account um, to monitor the industry and other current events." Now. This story combined with the KD burner account story really goes to show me one thing, that when anyone in sports from management to players say that they don't care what the media says, they don't oh, care yeah, what the bad. haters say, they are most often not being honest. Oh, it's it's always a lie. It's and dead. something we probably already knew. But again, it is hilarious to see these guys come out on Twitter, use the burner accounts, and just basically use their own personal accounts. And again, we can mention it here in Charlotte where Frank Kaminsky, a guy who we've seen very active on Twitter, we've seen him try to take a hiatus from it because of his mental health, basically, because of a guy that wanted to step back and say, you know what, it's kind of damaging me. My confidence is shot. I need to step back. And we're seeing this from a lot of athletes. But it pulls him back in. He actually tweeted on this subject he said uh, i need a burner account seems to be the hot new trend sounds fun too unless you get caught then it doesn't sound so fun right which frank probably would be the guy that you would probably pin to most of having a burner account on the charlotte hornets either him or well does michael carter williams still count or no um maybe why why mcw I, M- MCW seems like the type that would have just one. the guy that would have one. Maybe yeah. I, I think Frank has to fit that and guys that would least likely had one. I would have to go with Cody Zeller and Marvin Williams, unless they're just taking out all their aggression. Too. MKG perfect. Yep. Those would be the least likely to have it. Here's the thing. If Colangelo, I always sort of want when these things come up, I say, okay, if this person is telling the truth, then what would this story mean? So if Colangelo is telling the truth that he had nothing to He's do with these quit. other four, then he, that he had nothing to do with any of those accounts then he doesn't need to quit. He needs to hire some personal security because he has some people out there following his son's basketball teammates, tweeting them, tweeting his former bosses, tweeting information. The call is coming from inside the house. Right. And so if this is a guy that is not genuinely bothered by all of those things, then something smells fishy if he's not, again, genuinely bothered by somebody following his life in those patterns so closely. And and the big thing for me is on this there's so much information, and I've seen a couple of the Sixers beat writers kind of confirm that, yeah, this is high-level information that's being shared from yeah, these accounts. Right. So if it's not you, Brian Colangelo, it's someone close to you. And no matter how this investigation goes, he's got to go. There's two Because either you have leaks in your office that are that bad to where it's getting out on Twitter to where you have guys committing literally NBA rules violations, including talking about players before you even drafted them, talking about medicals, which is also a HIPAA violation of the highest order. Oh, you're done now? You done messed up HIPAA? <laughs> literally, you have the this many you have this many violations, no matter what the investigation basically finds out finds out, he's gotta go. He's got to go. Twitter.com has not failed us the past 24 hours. Not at all. It's like 2011 all over again. It has been amazing, and I am here for it. I will continue to check Twitter and refresh everything that's going on with the burner accounts and the beef between Pusha Terrence and Drake. Can I say one more thing? Sure. So once again, 
we have a darling NBA franchise that has shown itself to be way more dysfunctional than the organization here in Charlotte that everyone weirdly assumes is dysfunctional because of the Michael Jordan executive bias. So in fairness to his airness, which used to be a segment on the show, I'm bringing it back. There are a lot of organizations that are way more dysfunctional than Charlotte. Let's hope that's not famous last words. Yeah. <laughs> Let's hope that everything goes on. Let's hope that Michael Jordan does not have any burner accounts out there, which I could see him having some burner I accounts. could see him having three. Probably hating with LeBron James, like anybody that calls LeBron James the GOAT. Michael just continuing to argue oh like boy, the old that man. That would be the story of the <laughs> NBA Twitter century. I'm here for it. I think it's happening. I'm here to I'm, I'm here to exclusively report it. All right. Thanks for listening to the Locked On Hornets podcast here on the Locked On Podcast Network. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Locked On Hornets. Subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts. Stitcher, Overcast, wherever you get your podcasts, just search Locked On Hornets. Thanks again for listening, guys. We'll be back with you on Friday.